there. It's Gary Parish. It's Sunday, January 19, 2020. Welcome back to the CBS Sports Eye on College Basketball podcast, where we sometimes discuss camel fighting and leaky black. Matt Norlander is here with me, and it's another wild weekend in college basketball in the books. Seven. Yes, seven. Ranked teams lost to lower-ranked or unranked teams on Saturday alone. I'm going to run you through it real quick. Number three, Duke, lost at home to... Lower-ranked number 11, Louisville. Number four, Auburn got its brains beat in at unranked Florida. Number five, Butler fell at unranked DePaul. Number 12, West Virginia lost big at unranked Kansas State. Number 16, Wichita State lost by double digits at home to unranked Houston. Number 20, Colorado got whipped at unranked Arizona. And number 21, Ohio State got destroyed at unranked Penn State. To be clear, two of those higher-ranked teams Auburn and Colorado were actually underdogs in their games, but still, wild Saturday. And Duke losing at home to Louisville was the biggest surprise, at least according to the point spread. The Blue Devils closed as eight-point favorites, trailed by 15 points in the first half, lost 79-73 inside Cameron Indoor Stadium. So that's a two-game losing streak for Duke. Lost at Clemson last Wednesday, lost to Louisville on Saturday. Dead leg Norlander. Should Duke fans be concerned, or is this just a little bump in the road, on the way to Coach K's 13th Final Four. How you doing on this Sunday night, Dead Arm? I'm uh, I'm, pr- I'm okay. You're doing I, all right. You're looking okay. Describe, yeah, you're good. I would you're, describe myself as just okay. You're in the dark again as we do this. You know, I'm hiding looking like a vampire. Hiding the world is a vampire. <laughs> Didn't we? Did, wasn't that a podcast thing one time? <laughs> it was. What was? The, what's <laughs> no. the next line? Set the drain. <laughs> <laughs> we, we couldn't figure out the, the second line. It was, but we knew it was something oh like. <laughs> anyway, we do this over. We Skype, we video, video, and Parrish loves just being in the dark. Um, so it's just it's always uh, weirdly creepy. By the way, we did have eight ranked teams lose over the weekend because Michigan, nineteen in the polls, fell at Iowa on Friday night. But yes, oh, the, I forgot about that. Yeah, there night. we go. Yeah, we got another one there. Uh, I mean, we'll get to a lot of the the noise uh, with other stuff later in the podcast here, but. Um, so you were right. I was wrong. Uh, this was uh, the only case in which that was the case for our final four and one. You had Louisville covering. Uh, you, like me, you did have Duke winning outright. I had Duke, uh, you know, figuring to, to match that minus eight. That did not happen. Credit to Louisville, no doubt about it. Um, this is a, an encouraging win and really sets the ACC um, into something of a toss-up here. Uh, Florida State continues to look good. We've given the Knowles their due on the podcast in the past. We'll continue to do so as they, you know, if and when they continue to uh, to keep rising in the rankings and keep winning. Uh, great job by them overall, no doubt about it. With Louisville, the big – if you watch the game, obviously David Johnson, you know, was terrific. And then he had, um, you know, a scare there with his shoulder again because he was out for so long because he had a torn labrum. But he had, what, 19 points, seven dimes – Four boards, three three steals, and a pair of blocks. I mean, he was outstanding to the point where if he can be that guy consistently going forward, then it just changes the outlook for Louisville altogether because the biggest criticism against Chris Mack's team is a lack of reliability with a playmaker and in the backcourt because – how about this? You know, Jordan Moore, if you watched that game start to finish, uh, he, he was – on a scale of 1 to 10, he was a 5.5 at best – uh, but yet Louisville is able to win and win uh, you know, with the strike of a hammer against Duke, which takes two straight L's. So um, I understand Duke losing at home is going to always be the bigger story, and it was here. But I did want to start with just some commentary and recognition 
of the cards getting a you know just a huge win that will build out the resume gives them a chance to potentially win the ACC down the road gives them a, an important quad one win as we sit here on Sunday night they're now four and three in quad one games and have no bad losses do those Cardinals cannot say the same for Duke um, which you know is now 15 and three behind the eight ball in the ACC and spinning its wheels a little bit after uh, after being unable to come back and, and also not having Vernon Carey on the floor late in that game. Um, the, the stuff on Jordan Ward is interesting because you're exactly right. He was he was not good. Three of 12 from the field, six points. And he's been I, I, not underwhelming across the board when they play good teams because he got 32 in a game against Florida State. But Louisville has played five top 25 Ken Palm teams uh, right now. And, and in those games – his field goal percentage is down and his points per game uh, down. Now, now maybe that's just tied to you know logic. Like, well, he's against better teams. He doesn't produce as much and doesn't shoot as well. Like, that, that, that doesn't that make sense? And perhaps it does. But I will say he's only been held to f- under 14 points twice this season. And they were the games against Kentucky and Duke. He was 2 of 10, 8 points against Kentucky, Three of 12, six points against Duke. So uh, is that just a small sample size coincidental thing? Or is, you know, sometimes in sports, people do get a rap for, you know, can't play in the big ones. Clayton Kershaw can't pitch in the postseason, whatever these things are. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm not ready to tie anything to Jordan War right now, but he, 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 in some of the biggest games, he has not been great. He hasn't, but that makes Louisville's win all the more impressive. I, uh, and, and just the way they got it, um, yeah, I just I, – I did not think that they were going to be capable of going in. I also thought Duke was going to respond better to the loss at Clemson. Just clearly was not the case at all. Uh, even just like even little things, if you're a Duke fan, like Trey Jones missing takes to the rim, taking taking a three when they kind of needed it, but then it wasn't even close. Like he just is not – if you're a Duke fan, you're concerned not just at the losses, but, you, you know, you just wish Trey was just a little bit better of a shooter than what he's – shown to be so far and losing that home here you know I'll say this it's not inconceivable obviously this is just a three loss team Duke is and still still sitting at number two in Ken Palm um, but I don't really even know what that means at this point honestly given everything that else has happened with the season but if Duke takes one more home loss or if it takes another like rough road loss and that'd be like an at Georgia Tech and at Clemson, it's really the only two. Maybe that'll maybe at Virginia will qualify. It's not going to get a one seed. There's just uh, there's too much there's you know there's too much there um, with other teams that I think will compete. You know, so keep an eye on that. I just you know Stephen F. Austin, Clemson, and now a home L to Louisville. They get to turn around. They get to host Miami and Pitt. Those conceivably should both be wins for Duke. Their upcoming games and they're at Q's at Boston College. At UNC, which we're expecting, we'll have Cole Anthony on the floor there, so we'll see if that changes the dynamic. But uh, yeah, certainly, you know, if you've got a little bit of urgency, if you're a Duke fan, that's that's completely validated at this point because I thought I thought this was the best team in college basketball six days ago, and there's no way I can even remotely try and make that case now. Um, you mentioned uh, about Louisville's win being more impressive, you know, considering Jordan Worrell wasn't very good. I, I agree completely. And this is a big win for them, not just because it's at Cameron, but because if you don't win the game, by definition, you lose the game. You know, they're four and three, you, you noted, in quadrant one opportunities now. That means they were just three and three 
um, before this win, and they were just one in three against top 25 Ken Palm team before they beat uh, Duke. So if they don't win that game, they dropped a one in four against top 25 Kempon teams. And that's when some folks might start asking big questions like, hey, uh, Louisville's highly ranked and we think they're good, but like, who have they really beaten? And it would have been maybe not a fair question to, to ask, but uh, the numbers would not have, have been pretty. Uh, you win the game and now, um, you know, it, 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 everybody uh, it, it has shut up for a minute and the questions are about Duke as opposed to Louisville. If you're a Duke fan, you want to still be encouraged. Like uh, Norlander said, uh, still number two at Ken Palm, number five in offensive efficiency, number eight in defensive efficiency. It was interesting, though. Vernon Carey only took six shots in the game, and he's only taken six shots in two of Duke's past three games. He averages like 11 field goal attempts per game. Um, so, I'm, you know, I, I, I'm – Full disclosure, I had a charity event on Saturday night. I did not see uh, the end of Duke Louisville. I just saw um, like most of the first half. But so I don't. So I didn't. I'm not able to tell you exactly what Louisville was doing to prevent shot attempts from him, or if it was just him not, you know, getting field goal attempts. But it is it is notable that he only took six shots, and in two of the past three games, he's only taken uh, six shots on on Duke's schedule. Next five games are against nothing but sub-50 Kempom teams. So, you know, Miami at home, Pitt at home, Syracuse, at Syracuse, at Boston College, at North Carolina. So the schedule does lighten up. Uh, we assume, uh, if you take Cole Anthony at his word, that he'll be available um, for that first Duke-North Carolina game. But, like, is he is he going to make a big enough difference to make it matter? Like, UNC lost again this weekend by double digits at Pitt. Now 2-6 and six without Cole Anthony, 2-8 yeah. and eight in their past 10 games. One and five in the ACC, tied for last with Wake Forest in the standings. Eight and nine on the season. This is uh, the first time North Carolina has been under five hundred um, since two thousand four. That's correct. First game they lost to Santa Clara when they didn't have Raymond Felton on the floor. Um, one more quick note: Kerry had foul issues. I, I you know, he had four fouls. He wasn't playing late, and I, I wonder if uh, like I don't know. It's it's weird. Like he's been on a on a per possession basis and. Per 40 minute, he's been terrific this season. Uh, but I was a little surprised to see him not on the floor there uh, for Duke. I don't know if it would have ultimately made a difference, but uh, but so it goes. Good on you, Louisville. And um, we'll see. I mean, right now, ACC is Duke, Louisville, Florida State. It'll be one of those three teams that wins the league. I, I just don't see how you can make the case for anyone else at this point. Uh, Ville and Florida State are both 6-1. and one. Duke is 5-2, and two, and then trailing those teams are UVA, NC State, Q's, and Virginia Tech all at 4-3. and three. Um, You know, UVA is trying to become the first team to hold opponents to under 50 points on average since Princeton uh, with the advent of the shot clock in the mid-'80s. Princeton did it in the early-'90s. But even with that, if they can do that, uh, you know, UVA you cannot consider a legitimate ACC contender. So it'll be one of those three, and right now I'd actually pick Florida State to win it. There's not a bigger drop in any power conference between team number three and team number four than there is in the ACC. Like Florida State, Louisville, and Duke are, I think, at, in the top 25 and one right now. They are number five, number six, and number 13. Um, they're all in the top 16 at Ken Palm. And then number four, the fourth highest ranked uh, ACC team in Ken Palm is Virginia at number 44. So it goes from number two to number six to number 16 and then it drops all the way to 44. Like, there's a clear-cut top three in the ACC. You're exactly right. There's no way to pick anybody else to win that league right now other than Florida State, Louisville, or Duke. And in, in, in picking any of them, 
is a totally reasonable thing to do. Yeah, I agree. And just a down season for the ACC, but we'll save that for another podcast in terms of once like more stuff gets sorted out. Um, that that league's a mess. There's got to, you know, they got to have one or two teams kind of step up, break through to to even ensure the league will get five bids. All right, let's move on. Rutgers beat Minnesota on Sunday to improve to fourteen and four overall. Five and two in the Big Ten, tied for second in the league standings now. We're going to talk about that next. But first, are you looking for a new basketball shoe? If so, this is Gary Parrish here to tell you that the New Balance Two-Way V4 features the groundbreaking use of fuel cell technology with fresh foam creating the ultimate combination of rebound and cushioning. Every step feels explosive and dynamic, and the upper construction features a lightweight textile that's supportive and breathable. So whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way at newbalance.com. The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. You've got the H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on those dirt trails and kick up some mud. Or the third-row seating gets your whole family in to experience the thrill together. The dual wireless charging pads make sure that no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead cell phone. Think about those adventurous activities you can do. Like me, taking a ski trip up with the family, maybe going on a camping expedition, anything and everything. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. So Rutgers beat Minnesota on Sunday to improve to 14-4 and overall, 5-2 and in the Big Ten. The Scarlet Knights are 8-1 and in their past nine games with wins over Seton Hall, Wisconsin, Minnesota, and Indiana. They're now 13-0 and at home. There are some neat facts tied to this program right now. Like we told you on a previous podcast, Rutgers has not been to the NCAA tournament since 1991. It's the longest such drought for any program in a top-seven conference. In fact, uh, our friend Jeff Eisenberg pointed out on Twitter last week that aside from DePaul, no other power conference program has a drought even half as long as Rutgers' current NCAA tournament drought, which leads us to trivia time. You ready? Not even a little. Rutgers hasn't been to the NCAA tournament since 1991. DePaul hasn't been since 2004. Who has the third longest NCAA tournament drought among power conference schools? All right. Well, you're talking uh, the football five and Big East and not including the American with this? And I'm including the American. I respect the AAC. So I do, too. I just had to make sure. Okay. The major seven conferences, as I refer to them. Um, but within that... Like, East Carolina is one of my guesses, but that's not a power conference school. Okay, let's take the American out. I might have screwed up trivia time. Yeah, you did. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you did. I love it. Okay. I'm All right. Let's up take the American. Well, is, there, is, is the answer from the American? It is not from okay. the American. But which, okay. which, but I Shouts think, to I think, Tulane, too. How about but a little? I think uh, yeah. Okay. Let me rephrase. Let's, let's pretend none of that just happened. All right, let's let's start it all over. Trivia time. Rutgers has been to the hasn't been in the NCAA tournament since 1991. DePaul hasn't been since 2004. Uh-huh. Who has the third longest NCAA tournament drought among power conference schools? If we are strictly, and I say this with a complete apologies to the American Athletic Conference, calling pa- power conference schools 
the uh, Power Five and the Big East. Okay. Um, Boston College is the first one off the top of my head that springs to mind. That is an incorrect answer. It is incorrect. I know Boston College has gone at least 10 seasons because it used to be – because Mississippi State had one that was similarly as long. They snapped that. Um, no BC. Who else has been there? Who hasn't been there in a minute? Uh, I really want to get this. Let's see. Uh, so Wazoo, 2007, Tony Bennett. Is that it? Well, you, it's, you're part right. It okay. is Washington State. Tony Bennett was the coach. Um, but they went in 2008. Okay, so it's the right answer, wrong year. Right answer, wrong year. Washington State hasn't been to the NCAA tournament since 2008. Tony was the coach. Best four players on the team, Derek Lowe, Kyle Weaver, Aaron Baines, and Taylor Rochester. Because Thompson left after 07. No, I think this is before Clay Thompson. Is it really? I think no, that's... No, no way. Really? I, I, I no. It is true, and I was my reaction was exactly yours. Like, really, Clay Thompson wasn't even there yet. Wow, how about Clay, that? Clay Thompson got to yeah, you're right. Oh eight, oh nine. How about that? I think he only actually like we remember Clay Thompson playing at Washington State for Tony Bennett. I think he only played one season for Tony Bennett, <laughs> and then he played for the uh, the quasi legend Ken Bone. <laughs> Ken Bone. <laughs> why was why was Ken Bone a legend? Well, because there was the other dude also named Ken Bone who went viral when they had their presidential debates four years ago. Remember this? Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And so then, so then, so then, uh, Washington State coach Ken Bone had a moment there too. Um, so it is Washington State. Who, by the way, you know, I'll just you know, unscripted here. Just a quick, quick battle love to the Cougs with Kyle Smith, first year coach there. They did just sweep the Oregon schools on a homestand, beat Oregon Thursday, and then got a win over Oregon State. So just some positive games. They're not gonna. They're gonna continue to have the uh, the third longest drought this season um, amongst those other schools because they're not gonna make the NCAA tournament. But nice, nice little returns in year number one. Anyway, Rutgers is what we were talking about, I believe, at the at the start of this. Right. Rutgers, um, in addition to everything I've already told you, they are now three games above 500 in league play for the first time since the 1989-99 season. They're up to 24. Well, that can't happen. You said the 89-99 season. That's an entire decade. 1998-99 season. Okay, there we go. Okay. <laughs> and uh, so they're up to 24th at Ken Palm, and it's the highest they've ever been at any point in the Ken Palm era that dates back to the 2001-2002 season, which leads us to okay. Trivia Time Part 2. Are you going double trivia Rutgers on, on me? Double, double Trivia Time Rutgers? Is that what we're doing right now? I'm not prepared. Time Rutgers. Oh, I can What's the highest this. Rutgers has ever finished at Ken Palm? I got to guess the number? The exact number. No. Give me like in the get, – get within 10. Okay. Um – and they're the highest now they've ever been. I heard that they are correctly. The highest they've ever been. I'll go. Point, uh, I'll go number forty-one. Not even close, bud. The highest they've ever finished is seventy-first back in two thousand six, when the great Gary Waters was coaching Rutgers. The team went to the NIT. How about this? Rutgers was two hundred and seventy-ninth at Ken Palm the season before Steve Peichel got the job. Year one. He finished 135th, so improved by more than 100 spots. Year two, improved a little more, up to 130th. Year three, finished 78th, 
and right now 24th. That is building a bad basketball program year by year and making it nationally relevant at this point, evidence being uh, we're talking about Rutgers on the Ion College Basketball Podcast. There's no doubt about it. How about this? So Rutgers is 14-4. and four. It's their best start to a season through 18 games since 82-83. That 82-83 team actually had two future NBA players on it. I don't know how many minutes these dudes played in the league, but John Battle, Roy Hinson, shouts to both of you. That team actually uh, got out to like an 18-4, 19-4 start. Um, never got into the AP rankings that season, though. Uh, I tweeted this earlier on Sunday. Um, amazingly, astoundingly, Rutgers has not been ranked since 19, since the final regular season poll of the 78-79 season, that's unbelievable to me. And that, I, while I don't have this definitively, I have to believe that amongst the Football Five and the Big East um, schools, that is like so far and away the biggest drought for any team not being ranked in major Division One men's college basketball. That can snap. On Monday, when the polls refresh around noon, AP Top 25, um, we'll see if it indeed hasn't. So just, but just to be clear, Rutgers last made the tournament uh, early 90s, never was ranked at any point there. Going to try and do it now, and I hope it happens for them because of this. They've got, their schedule is backloaded here, so they've been flawless at home 13-0, but they're 1-4 away from home. Um, three of those being road losses, and then they lost on a neutral to St. Bonaventure here. They're going to play at Iowa Wednesday. They get back home against Nebraska next weekend, should win that. But then like a tricky one home against Purdue, they get Michi- They get the benefit of this. They get Michigan twice. Later in the season, they're going to play Michigan at the rack, and the first game isn't at Michigan. It's that every year now the Big Ten does this combo hockey, basketball, Big Ten day at MSG. So that counts as Rutgers's quote-unquote road game against Michigan. Um, so they're going to get – they don't have to travel to Ann Arbor, but still could be tricky. And then they're going to play at North at Maryland before hosting Northwestern. So um, this could be a high point for for the Gers. Maybe not. Top 10 defense. They are building an NCAA tournament resume. I know you have not assembled your top 25 and one yet, but um, you think they're going to be in there when people give that a click on Monday morning? Um, well, I have assembled it for Sunday morning because it's now Sunday night and no ranked teams uh, played on Sunday. So with Rutgers winning on Sunday, uh, Rutgers will be in the top 25 on one day. They were 25th on Sunday morning. They will be 25th on Monday morning. They are currently 24th at Kimpom, like we said. They're 18th in the net. So like, it, there's it's totally reasonable to rank Rutgers right now. Uh, but I will say they only got eight votes, eight points in last week's AP poll. And so a lot of AP voters, in the simplest terms, a lot of AP voters would have to jump them over a lot of other teams to get them there. Now, they did add two wins over top 40 Ken Palm teams this week. So you can do it, but I've had Rutgers, like I had Rutgers 26th, I think, last Monday. So I didn't have to jump them over all the teams that are in front of them in the AP poll right now. So I, I guess we'll see. Like some people are probably listening to this on Monday afternoon, Monday night, maybe even Tuesday morning. So you know now whether Rutgers is in the top 25. But um, 
I, I, I like you. I, I, I hope that it happens for them because that's an incredible achievement. Like you take over a program that was 279 the year before you got it, hasn't been ranked since 1979, and in year four, you break it into the AP poll. Like regardless of what happens at Rutgers going forward, that will be a, a huge accomplishment for Steve, who is like one of the nicest men uh, uh, you know, in, in, in the industry, just a, just a, just a kind, you know, um, just a kind, humble man. And so, you know, when, when you're offered this job where he was at, um, you, you, you take the job because it's a, you know, it's a big 10 job and it's a lot of money and you got kids. And so it, it but it's, it's hard. It's a hard job. Uh, you know, I, I, I know coaches who have, you know, been offered that that job and just said, no, I'm not touching that one. I'll wait for the next one. Um, but, but, but Steve was in a position where you, you just have to take it, uh, but you never know if it's going to work out, even if you're very good at your job and yet it, it's working out and coaches always talking about building it the right way and brick by brick and all that stuff. Like here's an example of a guy really doing it. Mm-hmm. And I know that he will not celebrate it publicly if they are ranked on Monday. Um, but privately I would assume it, it would be a, a pretty proud moment. Yeah, man, look at us. Hey, look at us. Who would have thought? Not me. <laughs> Rutgers, this is like the second time in four or five episodes, but they're worthy of being talked about. Hey, hashtag rank Rutgers. I'm all in on that movement here because if nothing else, it uh, it'd be it would be, you know, emblematic of the rebuild here and if you know if the schedule gets a little bit bumpy and it, i mean it is going to get bumpy if they take on some losses here uh, it might be hard for them to get back in because the big Ten's just a monster overall but they hold uh they hold serve at home and in doing so the big 10 by the way you know you know a microcosm of all this the big 10 is now 42 and 7 at home in intra-league games this season it's just it's um it's 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 weird in that it's so it's such a stronger home court advantage conference than everybody else. Um, and in fact, a, a shout to John. I was reading this about an hour or so before we started podcasting. Credit to John Gasway of ESPN.com for this. He had actually gone back and done all of the research. Um, the best single season home court record for any conference. Again, this is just intra-league, so same teams from same leagues playing, not the non-conference stuff. It was the Mountain West in 2004. Home teams won 77% of their games. By comparison right now, you're looking at you know the Big Ten clipping at north of 85%. That will come down because the teams that prove to be 1, 2, 3, and 4 at the top are going are gonna to pick off some of the lower ones near the end. But the Big Ten, you know, as we sit here... More than 25% of the way through the league schedule. I mean, it's tracking to be the best home court advantage, uh, you know, in modern history in college basketball. And that's happening because you have schools like Rutgers getting better and not losing at home. It's undefeated so far this season. Well, you know, historically, you look at the Big Ten and you go, okay, where can we go get wins? And it was like um, Nebraska. I know Nebraska hasn't been in the league forever, but you you understand my point. Nebraska, Penn State, Rutgers, like we can go to those places. Now going to Rutgers is a nightmare. Going to Penn State is tough, and Nebraska's not good. But that you know uh, you know Pinnacle is it Pinnacle Arena? I have no idea. I think it's Pinnacle Arena. Like uh, sure, it's a great. I know most of them, but I actually don't know what that one's called. Let me Google and find out. Nebraska Pinnacle Bank Pinnacle Bank Arena. There you go. 
It's Pinnacle Bank Arena. And so, but like that's, you know, when Tim had it going there, Tim Miles, like that became an impossible place to play. And so right now. Impossible? No, it, it, it was not. An, it was not. Listen, I know you're on a roll. I can just let you go. When Tim Miles coached at Nebraska, it was not an impossible place impossible. to play. It was impo- You couldn't play. It was you not. Uh, we you, could get Tim would, Miles on this podcast, and he would, even he would admit it was not an impossible place to play. You would show up for the game. I, I guess you've forgotten about it, but teams would show up for the game, and then the refs would like look around and they go, "We're not going to allow you to play because it's impossible to play here," and they would just not. Not even start the game. It was weird. And Nebraska lost uh, five home games last season under Tim Miles. I said when Tim Miles had it going, not the year Tim Miles got fired. <laughs> when he, when, only when he had it going. Well, the year before that, they lost a home game. The year before that, one, two, three, four, five, ooh, six, seven, eight home losses the year before that. Let's hey, go. Get, let's go a year before that. Hold on. There we go. One, <laughs> two, three, four, five, six. Seven, eight more home losses, uh, including one to Samford. Let's go a year before that here. Nebraska under Tim Miles in the impossible uh, venue that was. You said it was Pinnacle Bank. All right, I got one to Creighton. Oh, it's, listen, it's you, awesome, listen you can't. Life. Listen, a loss to Incarnate Word on December 10th, 2014. Anyone's going to take that. What can you do? Here's a third one to Indiana, a fourth one to Wisconsin, a fifth one to Iowa, and a sixth one to Maryland. So you're right. For the most part, it was impossible. In- Incarnate Word is... Is going to catch you every once in a while. I think right. I think they might have lost more home games than won them under Tim Miles. Hold on, Pinnacle Bank Arena is. Sh- <laughs> <laughs> My, I, I stand corrected. Yeah, I feel like I could go win a game there right now. <laughs> could get, me and four dudes from Incarnate Work and maybe go get a win in Pinnacle Bank. Hey, they, they sold out. That's what I mean. They sold out all their tickets. Like if you walk in to okay. a field arena. Oh, what I boy. Mean. Uh, any, <laughs> oh, what a digression. Um, Is Nebraska the worst, the worst home team in college basketball history? Let's talk about that for a second. Look at the rabbit hole you slipped us down. Oh, they, they buddy. Need, I, I know, it sounds like I found a program that needs to go hire two-year-old Tony Hinkle. I think that's exactly what needs to happen if we can somehow pull that off. Two-year-old Tony Hinkle coaching Nebraska next year? You, you, you give me two-year-old Tony Hinkle in a jam-packed Pinnacle Bank Arena? Now we got something. Now invite Incarnate Word back and see what happens there. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, boy. So, anyway, congrats to Rutgers. We'll see if you wind up getting ranked. It's going to be a little tough going forward. <laughs> that, but, was like, uh, yeah. that was like my Doug Gottlieb moment with Kim, with Kim Palmer. Oh, that was so, – <laughs> you want to <laughs> go down that, that? Yeah, I did see that one. Of course I saw that one. <laughs> it's yes. like you say something, and then somebody goes, well, you know, that's not that's not actually true at all. And then you double down on it, and he's like, well, you know, you're just wrong again. Like, that, was a, that was a total Kim Palmerway beatdown of our friend Doug Gottlieb. <sighs> you just uh, – you just might want to have the stats if you're going to come. That's that's you know. If you're going to argue with Ken Palm, you better have some numbers ready uh, to go. The, 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 the he'll, most, n- he'll yeah. number whip you. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, you know who didn't have the numbers this weekend? Oh, nice transition. Who didn't have Who didn't have those numbers this weekend? GP. Vanderbilt. They made history. The Commodores made history this weekend. They did. Do you, they, see, do, you oh. do you see these dudes? <laughs> I saw what they weren't able to do. They they took twenty five three pointers and didn't make a single one. Do you know how hard that is to do? That seriously, extremely hard. Very difficult. Ex, ext, extremely extremely hard to take twenty five threes 
and not even luck into one. And the hook to this is the fact that Vandy had gone 1,080 straight games with a made three-pointer since the three-point line was instituted into men's D1 in the mid-1980s. Vanderbilt had made at least one three in every single game. This now leaves just two schools. I trivia time you, but I think you know it because it's kind of been out there in light of Vandy not doing it. So trivia time for the listeners if you don't know it. Give you a little five, six-second window to to guess this out. But there are two schools who still have made a three every single game since the line was adopted. Those schools are the UNLV Running Rebels and Princeton. Yeah, somewhat surprising. Those Princeton Tigers out in the Ivy League. So those ones are still going. And uh, and so there you have it. Um, in the past 20 seasons, according to ESPN Stats and Information Research, only Northwestern State's O of 26 effort in 2012 was worse than Vanderbilt's wow. O of 25 this weekend. And it is the most takes without a make in SEC history. I mean, it's just like... Like if you throw, if you like, if you take eight year olds and just throw the ball at the rim twenty five times, like well, one of them's gonna go in. Oh yeah, I mean from from like ten to twelve feet though. If you have eight year olds shooting from the college line as it is now, very few are actually gonna wind up making it. If you take if you take eight year olds, call them visitors, and put them in put them in Pinnacle Bank Arena, then not- then then you're cooking <laughs> with gas. That's right. <laughs> now you're ready to go. Then you're gonna win. <laughs> Exactly what's going to happen. The best thing you can be in college basketball is a visitor at Pinnacle Bank. You are all all set to say, you know what, like when they had it going under 10 miles, it was like walking into Cameron and you could not have been more wrong. (laughs) It felt that way, though. (laughs) I've heard, by the way, on a a note of seriousness here, I have heard that that uh, arena is just tremendous, like one of the best in the league. Just haven't had a chance to get out there. But anyway, Nebraska kind of fighting through at 7-11. Lost to Indiana. That's a little bit of a skid there. But, yeah, uh, Vandy, hey, what can you do, man? They're just, it's, it's actually a rough go of them. You know, the streak would not have ended if they weren't subject to, for the second straight season, I don't even think we talked about this on the podcast, did we? They lost Aaron Naismith a couple games ago uh, to an injury. He's got a stress fracture, so it had been getting progressively worse. And so he's not, going to, he's not expected to return for the rest of the season. He was second in the nation in three-point shooting. 52% of his uh, threes were, went in, and he by far took the most on the team. So if he had been able to play, we wouldn't even be talking about this, but he's not there, and just a bad situation gets worse in year one for Jerry Stackhouse at Vandy. Uh, the starters for Vandy were a combined 0 of 16 uh, from from three-point range. Somebody came off the bench, took five, missed all five. <laughs> they were 0 of 25 from three, uh, 12 of 51 from the field, so they only shot 23.5% from the game. And yet they shot 81% from the free throw line. So like Scottie Pippen Jr. goes 0 of 2 from 3, but 10 of 10 from the free throw line. So Vandy was making they make it his free throws, uh, but but struggling uh, from beyond the arc. Um, so that was a rough one. You never want to have that streak snap, uh, especially in that way, and especially against a rival uh, like Tennessee. But all of it happened uh, on Saturday. So listen, uh, we touched on Louisville Duke. We touched on North Carolina losing again. We touched on Red Hot Rutgers and Ice Cold Vandy. Lots of other stuff happened this weekend. Um, Auburn lost again. They've gone from 15-0 and 0 to 15-2. and 2. Ohio State lost again and is now out of the top 25-1 and 1 after spending part of the season ranked number one in the top 25-1. and 1, So that's weird. Peyton Pritchard hit a game winner to get Oregon past Washington. John Calipari got ejected. Then Kentucky rallied for a win at Arkansas. I know you sat – 
uh, in the studio, CBS Sports HQ, watched mm-hmm. it all. What 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 else stood out to you other than the stuff we've already talked about? Yeah, let's uh, let's do a let's do a quick tour through the weekend here because uh, I know we're getting to that point of the season where listeners are you know trying to keep up with the Joneses, and it was a busy, it was just a stacked Saturday. It was actually such a thin Sunday because the uh, the NFL championship games. Um, so a quick rewind, real quick to Friday night. Dayton wins at credit to the Flyers, and if they keep this up, I want to. I do want to dedicate like a, a significant segment segment to them on the pod uh, pretty soon here because they have not lost in 2020. Now at 16 and two, they won in OT at St. Louis with a uh, near buzzer beating three by Jalen Crutcher. Shouts to the Flyers, you're good enough to win the national championships. That was the big thing from Friday. Then we get into Saturday. I wrote a column on Pritchard for CBSSports.com. I don't. Again, we are in. We are at a point where the National Player of the Year race it just it continues to be wide open. Particularly because if you thought Vernon Carey had the lead on it, Duke loses back to back games. He wasn't even a factor there. So now it's like Powell. It's Pritchard. You can throw in uh, Marcus Howard, who had the seventh. 40-point performance of his career over the weekend and keep a Marquette up in the Big East race. He's there. Luca Garza's there. Obi Toppin's there. Uh, but Pritchard might be as valuable to his team as as any, or maybe even more. I'm kind of convinced that if Pritchard wasn't on Oregon, they wouldn't even be a top-four team in the Pac-12, hitting outrageous three near the buzzer in OT to win it. He actually hit an even longer distance one near the end of the uh, the second half, and they Oregon rallied from a 16-point deficit to beat Washington. Big win for the Ducks. Meantime, Washington was a nine-seed in last season's tournament, and it is it, it has that win over Baylor and it has nothing else. So the Huskies, without Quade Green, they're in, they're in some like significant danger here. They've got Utah and Colorado coming up on the road, so they might not even make the NCAA tournament. Uh, the Ohio State has just... No, GP, they've had the hardest nosedive of anyone. I mean, they were number one in Ken Palm uh, a month ago, and now it's just a complete reversal. I still, how about this? I still think Ohio State's going to make the tournament, but if you told me they didn't, I wouldn't be stunned because they are in a tailspin and they cannot get out of it. And they don't even, it's not that they're losing the games. They look nothing like the team we saw uh, four weeks ago. So that kind of, I thought that was significant. Cal getting tossed, Kentucky winning. No, no. Nobody, nobody, nobody needs a game at Pinnacle Bank Arena worse right now than Ohio, than, State. Than Ohio State. It is, it, it like please God get them to Pinnacle Bank as ASAP, please. Um, th- these dudes were uh, nine and zero, then eleven and one, both times ranked number one in the top twenty-five and one. And it's not because I tweeted this on Saturday and people were like, "Oh, it sounds like you knew what you were doing." It, it's not like I was outrageously ranking Ohio State number one. They were number one in the computers at the time. They had the best body of work uh, in, in most people's opinion. And since then, I mean, since they beat Kentucky, it's just lost to West Virginia, lost to Wisconsin, lost to Maryland, lost to Indiana. They beat Nebraska at home. Yes. And then they lose to Penn State and like lose by 24 to Penn State. And And keep in mind. Like, I don't know that it's a pattern or a trend or if it's anything other than it's just happening again. But this same thing happened to them last year. They started 12 and one and then lost five in a row and ultimately end up um, entering the NCAA tournament with a 19 and 14 record. So when you start 12 and one and you enter the tournament with a 19 and 14 record, that means you went seven and 12. The re- after you started 12-1. and one. So for consecutive years now, Chris Holtman's team just completely going the wrong direction at a not great time. Correct. Um, 
Kentucky wins at Arkansas. Would have been a great win for the Hogs. Um, Cal got tossed from that game, and he was just he. I don't know, like I don't know what he said, so I don't know if he earned the ejection. I don't know if he was hunting for it. Um, he was just kind of like moseying around in the middle of the court, and I want to say Arkansas was up three, or the game was tied. Um, but he gets the hook. Feels like it's been a couple seasons since he got a hook. Um, and then and then Kentucky goes on to win. Uh, I don't think that was cause and effect there, but you you will see occasionally. Uh, certainly, coaches will get uh, will get thrown for a number of reasons. One, they just sometimes coaches are just so fed up. They're like, I want to get I want to get the hell out of this environment just go back to the locker room but good on good on Kentucky for uh for getting that win and being able to split you know having back-to-back roadies in the league taking the rough loss at the buzzer uh shouts to Devin Downey uh you know and, and Chester South Carolina and all that good stuff um but then being able to go and win at Arkansas you know good win for Kentucky where do you have them ranked by the way GP in light of that I didn't see uh, where you put them I have Kentucky ranked 20th right now that's probably eh, that's probably about right. I don't think I have too much of an issue with that. Um, they they are lower than that. I know like Kentucky fans are gonna you know they saw it this morning and were like we're too low because they always like always of think course. they're too low. Um, but you know they're twenty first at Ken Palm. They are even lower than that. I believe in the net. Let me check that one real quick. They are twenty seventh. In the net, so Kentucky fans can be frustrated by where they are, you know, in the top twenty-five or one, or in the AP poll come Monday. But they are probably higher in the top twenty-five and one than than they at least. I don't want to say probably. They are at least they're higher in the top twenty-five and one than the computers have them, and they're probably going to be higher in the AP poll than the computers have them. If you're looking for a result that I thought was among well, the most, well, 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 real quick on oh, okay. the Calipari thing. Oh yeah, so yeah, go ahead. He gets ejected. Um, I do not think he was doing it on purpose. To I don't think he was trying to get ejected, but he like clearly wasn't going to stop him. He wasn't going to do what the ref wanted him to do. Like those, I, my. In most cases, I don't think refs want to do that, especially to a Hall of Fame coach, uh-huh. especially to a Kentucky coach, because you know, like the, 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 the they'll have your home address posted on a message board, like that you know within within five minutes. So like you you don't want to do that, but he he gave them no choice. Like they were telling him to get back and he kept walking forward and they kept telling him to get back and he kept walking forward. So like they had no choice but to throw him. Uh, so I, so like then the debate was like, oh, was he trying to do it to motivate his team? I don't believe that. But I will say I thought it was odd. If you go watch the replay back and I was watching it live, you know, there, there's there, he's he's in the television frame and this thing goes on for like, oh, yeah, feel, like, forever and yeah. not a single assistant coach ever enters the frame like in normal circumstances I think it was Hagen's yeah wasn't it Hagen's that was some I, I think it was Hagen's who was kind of like trying to you know help him out there a little bit but yeah he was yeah, he, yeah. yeah Ashton Hagen's got there I think at the very end but usually when that happens when a coach is that far out on the court and he's already got a tech immediately an assistant coach right gets in front of him try, starts tr- like actually trying to move him back gently not aggressively, but like nudging him the other direction. And not only did no assistant coach try to, nobody even entered the frame, which again, I'm not saying that's proof that John told him, you leave me out there by myself. I'm going to get thrown out of this game. Don't come try to stop me. I'm not saying that's what it was. I'm just saying it's unusual to not see an assistant coach enter the frame after a head coach gets a tech and he's not stopping. 
I agree, and uh, but Goodwin, regardless for for UK, um, important outcome other side of the country. Arizona walloped on Colorado, twenty one point win. So a couple things on this. First of all, this will allow me to recap the weekend with our final four and one. Um, I had that one. You had Colorado. Now you had Louisville. I had Duke. We both had Maryland minus four. Maryland covered. Fortunately, you took those Tigers of Auburn. Go Tigers! I took the, I took Go Gator. Gator covered. And then I had St. John's. You had the Hall. I rode with Golden Gate Mike. Maybe you'll learn your lesson. So a four and one week for me. That brings me to 31, 23 and one. Unfortunately, um, a two and three week for you brings you to 22, 32 and one on the season. There yeah. we go. Um, do you want to do you want to add anything to that before I get to the zona specifically, or should uh, should I just keep rolling here? Imagine going 22, 32 and one, and then also thinking the Packers could stay within eight points all in the same weekend. <laughs> and thinking that Nebraska was unbeatable at Pinnacle Bank under Tim Miles. It's it, it just impossible it's to deal with. It's been, a rough, it's been a rough 24 hours for you, buddy. Um, so Arizona, this was probably the most uh, low-key necessary kind of win here. Uh, we have so many more games to settle this. I don't even understand how Arizona is 11th in the net at this point. Arizona doesn't have a road win this season. It's 1-4 against Quad 1. It's 13-5. and five. It's a good, not great record, uh, you know, played a solid schedule but the, the the win over Colorado was only the second win this season against a team that you can reasonably project to make the NCAA tournament the other one was against Illinois in the second game of the season so for Arizona to get that win get to three and two in the Pac-12 it got the most balanced game it's gotten all season from Nico Mannion Josh Green Zeke Naji, the big trio of freshmen they've all been very very good but uh collectively they didn't have a great shooting night but they did just enough um that's a big one because now they got to play at ASU next weekend and they'll follow that up with roadies against Washington and against Washington State. Arizona, highly unlikely to go undefeated in that stretch, so it's going to take at least one more loss. Getting that win the way it did, I thought was pretty significant over Colorado. Um, yeah, Arizona, like you, you mentioned, 11th in the net, 14th at Ken Palm. I do not have them in the top 25 and one. And I've had some Arizona fans ask me, like, why, why are you disrespecting the Wildcats or whatever? Everybody thinks you're always disrespecting them. Um, it, like, they're one in, like you said, they're one in four in quad one opportunities, two and one in quad two opportunities. So they're three and five in quadrant one slash quadrant two opportunities. Like there's just not much there. Um, I I don't doubt that they're good or can be good, but in terms of 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 resume, there, there's just not much on the resume right now. There's not. So that's why that was so big. And now. Th- you know, you get the double-edged sword where they have opportunities for more good stuff on the resume, but um, just try and go two and one over the next three at ASU at the Washington schools. Nope, you cannot uh, get picked off at Wazoo the, the way that uh, the way that Oregon was. Um, just a couple more quickies. One, I have to give a shout out to Leon Rice and Boise State. They trailed by 18 with less than four and a half minutes to go against Utah State and won the game. So Oregon had. A huge, notable comeback game was on CBS. Ian Eagle and Raph on the call was just awesome. Brilliant stuff. And then that wasn't even the biggest one of the weekend there. That has implications within the Mountain West in that, you know, Boise State's going to try and fight and get to the NIT and all that good stuff. But um, just an incredible come-from-behind home victory. And now Utah State... We talked about how Ohio State's done a nosedive. Utah State might be a cousin to that GP. Um, started seven and zero. We're thirteen and two 
once uh, we flipped the calendar from 2019 to 2020, and now you know Utah State's dropped four of its past five. I know you talked about it a little bit on Inside College Basketball on CBS Sports Network. The only win came last week at home against Nevada, but losses at UNLV, home to San Diego State, which, yes, still undefeated, got the win this week uh, easily, still uh, flawless there. Uh, Utah State lost at Air Force and now at Boise State. The good part is they have more home games than road ones re- remaining, but they are they have almost no slack left in terms of an at-large resume going forward. I found that to be relatively notable. And then that's pretty much West Virginia took a terrible loss at K-State. Uh, I don't know. Butler was like a top-five team. It lost to DePaul. Okay. And then uh, Houston just whooped up on Wichita State and the Americans. So, again, we thought there'd be a lot. There was a lot. We'll see how much all this means in a week or two. But um, I found it to be a pretty interesting, intriguing weekend in college basketball. And I know it's, you know, not total chaos to your top 25-1, and one, but uh, plenty of movement. And when the official AP poll refreshes on Monday, we will get a, a lot of restructuring given, again, like teams in the top five just keep losing. Did you see the stat? That was also ESPN Stats and Info put out. There's been 12 or 13 instances this season, I think it's 12, of a top five team losing to an unranked team. It happened six times all of last season, and we're like 55% through the schedule this season. So, you know, just more evidence that uh, we're living in the upside down. Do, do you realize uh, three teams ranked in the AP poll this past week and in the top five went 0-2? Uh, yeah, I thought, yeah. Was it, was, is that it? Because I thought there were – I thought I saw a stat that said six teams in the AP top five took losses – this week, you thought you said it was zero and three. I thought it was. Look, there aren't six teams in the AP top. No, five. no, no. Dumb. Top five team. No, top five team. Did I say six teams? Did I, did I say six teams in the AP top five? Six teams in the top five. <laughs> that's that's incredible. No, I th- I think wasn't it six losses came from teams in the AP top five this week. Auburn with two. Yeah, Duke with two, and, and Butler with two. It's Boom. like Three top five teams went 0-2 in the week. And I wondered um, aloud on Friday's podcast, like when was the last time a team started at least 15-0 and and then lost its next two games to unranked opponents? And uh, you, I said, you know what, I'm going to look that up. And you were like, you're not going to look that up. And you're exactly right. I'm not going to look that up. But shouts to Andy Tool and CBS Sports uh, research team. I emailed him. As Auburn was losing, became clear they were terrible. Like it, yeah. they, they were never in that game. Uh, they, I, I, I emailed Tulin and I was like, "Hey, if you if if it takes you twenty minutes to do this, don't. But if you can look it up pretty quickly, like I, I'm I'm curious to know when's the last time a team started at least fifteen and zero, and then immediately lost consecutive games to unranked opponents." And he hit me back fairly quickly did you read this did you see this do you know the answer i don't trivia time then answer it when's the last time it happened somebody starts at least 15 and 0 and then loses consecutive games to i I couldn't even like has it happened within the past 15 years yes it happened in 2014 the year 2014 yes so so 2013 14 13 14 season 13 so it had been that was um who would have been that good uh, that season? UConn won it. Uh, okay, so I'm going to blindly say Florida off the top of my head. Florida is not the correct answer. The correct answer is Wisconsin. Oh, Star- yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They uh, they made the Final Four. So, yeah, no, that makes – yeah, there we go. Yep. 
started 16 and 0, um, then immediately lost to unranked Indiana, then unranked Michigan, then unranked Minnesota. So they went from mm. 16 and 0 to 16 and 3 with with three straight losses to unranked teams, and then they closed the regular season by winning eight of their last nine, and yes, made the Final Four, beat American, Oregon, Baylor, Arizona, then played Kentucky in the Final Four lost that game 74-73. So um, I told Bruce Pearl uh, Saturday, uh, after I wrote the column, I I was texting with him a little bit, and I was like, listen, if if your players need to pick me up, uh, the last time something like this happened, it actually, it ended uh, ended pretty well uh, for the Wisconsin Badgers. So I'm not predicting that it'll end that way for Auburn. In fact, I don't think. But like we talked about uh, on, on, I believe, the previous podcast, the computers never... um, Ne- never liked Auburn as much as the humans liked Auburn. And really, I, I give Bruce credit because y- you talked to him a few weeks ago for the court report. So usually, and I wrote about this a little bit on Saturday in a column, usually when a coach has an undefeated team this deep into the season and they're still ranked behind multiple teams with losses, they'll start playing the disrespect card, right? Yeah. And Bruce, as ne- far as I know, no. Bruce never did that. right? Because like, and, and there was a quote from Tuesday he told reporters down in Alabama, he was like, um, listen, the reason we're ranked where we're ranked right now is because we have a zero in the loss column. And there's not too many teams that are going to be ranked ahead of us with a zero in the loss column at this point. But, you know, the computers tell a different story. He was very in tune with two things, that the computers didn't like his team as much as the AP poll liked his team. And I think if he were being honest with you, he would say – that um, you know that that it's a it's a it's a flawed basketball team and 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 happy to be fifteen and zero, um, but was well aware they had not beaten some monsters to get to fifteen and zero. I, I think Auburn fans probably were more insulted uh, by the computers and where they had Auburn than than uh, Bruce Pearl was. Yeah, before we get to the review of the week, that was the only other thing that I didn't really touch on um, was the Auburn. You wrote the column. Uh, they just got they got spanked by Florida. Uh, encouraging if you're a Gators fan, remember Florida preseason, like top 10 team, considered national title contender, haven't looked the part, uh, but did look the part there. And so now Auburn takes back-to-back L's and like blowout L's uh, on the road in league play. They'll try and get right at home Wednesday against a South Carolina team that beat Kentucky and then went on the road and you know wiped the floor with A&M. We'll wait and see if they can do it. All right, GP, who is our uh, who is our esteemed review of the week? What do you got? I found a sweet one. It comes from Bogo0224. That's the Apple podcast screen name. <clears throat> so that I, unless this person is actually named Bogo, I, I'm going to assume that it's not a real name. But Bogo, you know who you are. And this is you what- go, Bogo. This is what uh, this person wrote. said, I've listened to the Ion College Basketball Podcast for a little more than two years now and have enjoyed it that whole time. But lately, I've been looking forward to episodes even more than normal and finding myself genuinely happy and eager to listen to each new episode. The reason for this is my dad passed away from cancer on Christmas. And one of the things we always connected with each, uh, uh, one of the things we always connected with each on was our love for college sports. He was a Wolverine fan. I'm a Spartan. So we had a good natured rivalry with each other. Dealing with this loss has been tremendously difficult, but I found myself feeling better the three times a week when I get to listen to new episodes. Thanks, GP and Norlander, for that. These guys know their stuff and have an entertaining show that I look forward to year-round. Anyone with any interest in college basketball should be listening. So that's sweet, huh? Um, I, I don't know that 
I, I designed the, the podcast uh, or, or my radio show around getting people through uh, personal loss and tragedy. But if if you do, you know, do these types of things, you do hope that um, a people are um, anxious for the next uh, episode and B that when they're listening, you know, there's sort of a, the, the intro to my radio show, like you, know, you we would like to make you think, would like to make you laugh, um, you know, uh, would maybe like to make you cry every once in a while. We don't get old, super serious on the podcast, but sometimes on the radio show uh, I do. So I, I guess my point would be this. If we can take your mind off of uh, things you'd rather have your mind taken off of uh, three times a week for around 50 minutes or so. Um, that's an awesome thing to, to, to be able to do. So um, if we are doing it, I, I appreciate you saying that. Yeah, and uh, if nothing else, this wasn't the, this wasn't the intention of the, uh, of the you know, end of podcast segment every Sunday night, but um, maybe when we read back some of these, the listeners will actually identify with their fellow listeners registering a review. So that is, um, that's highly appreciated. Uh, having said that, do you want me to make uh, an ass of myself and tell you the story that I didn't have time for on the previous podcast? Oh, please. Um, you had a story okay. about your British accent <laughs> from last, last Wednesday's podcast. We were talking about, oh, it was from the mailbag. That's right. And we had it was an American who's studying abroad in England. I think we just assumed it was London. He, he never said it was London, but 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 far as I'm concerned, England is London. So um, he was in uh, he was studying abroad, trying to get his his his. his his mates, uh, his blokes, his blokes. blokes. Try, That's right. Get his blokes um, uh, interested in college basketball and wanted to know what team he should try to convince them to follow. And that led to Norlander talking in a British accent, British accent. That's right. for entirely too long. All right, so so we do that and it doesn't go well. And so then I could I could. For the record, I could simply have kept this to myself and never shared this with another person for the rest of my life, but why do that? Because I'm going to bring you into how this podcast is seeping into my internal monologue on a daily basis. So I do a radio interview the next day, okay? And when you get called to do these radio interviews, what will happen is the radio producer, like when GP's uh, producer calls me, because uh, I go on a show like once a year, what the heck is that about? Anyway, um, he'll be like, hey, GP's ready for you. Okay, cool. But they call you like maybe two, three minutes ahead of time sometimes just if to make do that. That is a – my producer is under strict order. You call somebody – 30 seconds before we want them on because yeah, there is nothing more frustrating. <laughs> well, I'm on both sides of this. I'm somebody who asks people to be a guest on my show, and I'm somebody who is a guest constantly on other people's shows. And there is nothing more frustrating than a producer calling, hey, is this Gary Parrish? Yes, it's Gary Parrish. Jesus Christ. You know who you're calling. You don't have to act, act. All right, I got you. I got you. Let me tell okay, the freaking and, dumb and, story, and, okay? And go, I'm setting this up. I know. Okay, this and is what I'm getting go, at. Okay, we got you. We got you ready, and uh, we'll be with you in four minutes. It's like what? The, call me back in four minutes. I don't need to sit on hold for four minutes. Continue. You sure you don't want to? That's wanna a message, go? by the way, for all radio. All right, you want to go on for another four minutes? There is nothing. All for all producers out there, there is nothing more frustrating than getting a phone call and somebody saying, "Well, we'll, we'll get to you in three minutes." Don't do that to your radio <laughs> okay. guests. Their, their time is precious. Uh, all right. So this happens. And I, do, I, I take the call, and then I'm going to be on hold for like two or three minutes. So what I normally do is I'll take it, and I, uh, 
I'll, I almost always, if, I, if I'm not in a public space, I will take a phone call on speaker now. I just don't put the phone up against my, my ear at all. But what I'll also normally do is I'll, put, so I'll, I'll do the tap and I'll put it on speaker and then I'll put it on mute until I got to talk because often if I have to do this, I try not to do radio interviews when I got my kids up because it's a disaster, but you just never know. So I, 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 take the, <laughs> I, take, I take the call and I'm on hold for like two minutes or so, two and a half minutes and as I'm doing this, like, you hear the commercial, and they're getting ready to come back from break, but my mind starts wandering. And I start thinking for reasons I don't even know why, but I start thinking, like, man, like, I don't think I, like, have this amazing British accent, but was it, like, was it really terrible? Like, was it really that bad? And so then I, I like, I know that I'm about to go do a radio interview, okay? But uh, at the same time, like, I'm just, I'm just thinking about the podcast and, like, how I didn't speak well with a British accent. So out of, no- out of nowhere, okay, out of nowhere, I just start thinking, what is, what's, like, a British accent, what's something common that's a British accent that I could, like, call up in my head and see if I could do it? So it's, like... Imagine you're the radio producer and it's just silence. And then out of nowhere, I go, do I make you horny, baby? Do I? <laughs> and then I, th- and so that happens. Okay. So. Do I make you horny, baby? Do I? Do I make you randy? Yes. Yeah. So. So I, I, I say this literally out loud. It's like that Twitter meme where, where someone will type nobody, colon. Absolutely nobody, colon, not a single goddamn soul, colon, me. Do I make you horny, baby? Do I? And so I say this out of nowhere, and then I'm like, holy crap, am I on the radio right now? Did I just... So I I didn't get that... I think it happened just before they came to me, but there is a... But, as you know, when you call a guest to go on a radio show... Like you still hear them, like before you come on the air. So, just completely ridiculous. I don't at know why. I don't know why I did this. I don't have. I cannot answer it for you. But then it happens, and I start the radio interview. I am cracking myself up over this because I'm like, what the f am I doing? Like what? So I start. I'm trying to answer it, and I'm just like, I'm laughing to myself hysterically. I so badly wanted to call and tell you this when it happened but i was like you know what i'm gonna save it i'm gonna save it for the podcast and so i very well did um at least that's a sort of a well-known phrase from a movie that like it it, like i know but still like you could have said something way worse i know but (laughs) but it's still like ridiculous it's like (laughs) do you remember the the dick vitale story where he did something similar I don't, but I. But just for the record, you share that. But I'm bringing back a phrase from a 22-year-old movie, like I'm a freaking freshman in high school trying to crack my friends up and talking to myself while I'm doing it. No, I hear you, but like, still, I think that's something that some, perhaps not this producer, but some people, like I knew you were quoting Austin Powers when you said what you said. So I think most people around my age and your age would probably get that. Can't speak for that producer, but like, it would have been worse if you just said something that's not a famous movie quote, but also like ridiculous. Like if it would have been, um, <laughs> I'm not even going to say anything totally inappropriate, <laughs> but like you can use your imagination. The Dick Vitale story is this same deal. Producer calls him a little too early and like, hey, Dick, you're going to be ready to go on. Uh, I think it was like go uh, Mike and Mike show. Somebody can look this up. 
And he's like, yeah, of course. Um, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm ready. Ready. Uh, I'll be here when you need me. You know, that's the way you talk to the producer. You, you, you're ready to go in two minutes? Yeah, I'll be ready to go. So he's clearly like out in public somewhere. And some, and so he did the same thing you did. He, somebody says something to him and he gets distracted. He, he forgets that he's about to go on radio. So he's just in this conversation with this like, I don't know who it was. I don't. I don't know if it was ever. Uh, we ever learned who it was, but then Mike and Mike comes back from break, and they're like, "And now we go to the great, you know, Dick Vitale, who joins us live from Tampa, Florida." Dick, uh, it's Mike and Mike. How you doing? He is not got his ear to the phone. He's having a conversation with this guy, and I can't remember the exact wording of it, but it was something along these lines. It was when Joe Kim Noah and Al Horford were in school. And they go like, hey, Dick, it's Mike and Mike. How you doing? And, and the next thing you hear is, no, I'm just telling you. I, I talked to Billy Donovan the other day. He says Al Horford's a million times better than Joe Kim Noah. There's <laughs> no way he would take Joe Kim Noah ahead of Al Horford in an NBA draft. Like, it's not even close. It's something what? like that. <laughs> I mean, go, like, go, I bet you can find it on YouTube. It, it was a thing because – I mean, it's you know uh, how it is in our profession. Yeah, coaches tell us stuff all the time about their own players and about uh, the families of their players, all sorts of things that you know it's it's said in confidence. And here, and Billy was clearly doing that with Dick, and then Dick is inadvertently <laughs> sharing it. All. It was basically, and I think this was in their second national championship season. So can you imagine uh, Billy Donovan's now got to go to to practice, and it's a national story. Dick Vitale was just on radio earlier inadvertently trashing Joe Kim Noah uh, or inadvertently telling stories about Billy Donovan privately trashing Joe Kim Noah. And maybe trashing is too strong of a word. Just like saying, in terms of NBA prospects, it ain't close. You take Horford over wow. Noah five, you know, seven times a week. Um, that was a, that was a thing. I, I don't know if it was, I can't, it was certainly a story I remember. Oh, that, I, I don't, uh, I don't recall that one. That's, uh, that's classic. Yeah. What got me, was I thought I was on mute. I thought I'd hit mute, and I just didn't. And it's just like it's just unprompted. Like it's ridiculous, just ridiculous. But um, yeah, the podcast is becoming more of an everyday factor in my subconsciousness than I'd even like to believe. But there we go. Okay, we got to, we don't we don't, we have a light Monday slate. Um, we'll see if anything comes of it. But actually, Tuesday GP. CBS Sports Network has the best game of the night. Um, let them know what that is, and then obviously whatever we get from that, we'll hit on that when we do the Wednesday podcast. Yeah, but is this our first real big Monday of the season? Technically, yes, because last Monday was the national championship game. Since ESPN carries it, there was no big Monday last week. Right. So, uh, yeah, we got big Monday, um, and then on Tuesday night, I'll be back in studio, CBS Sports Network. We got a, we got a great doubleheader. It's Butler at Villanova. And Wyoming at San Diego State. So that's two games featuring three nationally ranked teams. Right now, San Diego State is third in the top 25 and one. Villanova's seven, uh, seventh. And Butler's 11th. So three top 11 teams, at least according to the top 25 and one, on the CBS Sports Network on Tuesday night. So, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to that. Anytime we get nationally ranked teams on, especially, you know, including the, the last undefeated team. It's a good night, so I'm looking forward to Tuesday night's doubleheader. Should be pretty good. Um, things I'm most looking forward to in the next one to 48 hours are Butler Nova. Was debating actually going to that game, but Butler losing eh, just a little. Not I'm not sure it's worth the uh, the drive. And then um, uh, Curb Your Enthusiasm debuts tonight, so I I'm I uh, GP. I am like I am so ready. This is it's 
it might be in my top five shows of all time, and it's been around 20 years, only 10 seasons. Uh, he, Larry David has the, uh, the the benefit of basically getting to take literally three, four, five years off at a time if he wants. Um, and in the past like few, I've always wondered if it might tail off. It still never really has. So hopefully that's not the case here. So, yeah, we're going to wrap up this pod. I'm going to try and get it in the feed before Curb starts. I've been looking forward to this for, like, months now. So Yeah, he, he's 72 years old now, and, you know I, – I, People, I don't know, like your favorite, you, you would know more about right. this than I, your favorite musicians, like they reach a point where they just can't do, I mean, they can still play the old songs, but they can't write new stuff. Yeah, that 64 rhythm. isn't 24. Like, yeah, exactly. And even with, even with actors, comedians, that's also the case often. They can still have it, but like Larry David still has his fastball and I almost think it's baked into just his approach to all of it. Like, he's probably acted like a cranky 59-year-old since he was 22, so it just works, you know? Right. Well, I I think you can still have your fastball in terms of acting at 72. I, but as a writer, like, he write, you know, yeah. like, as an idea person, the, 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 as, as, a, as, as the brains behind this incredibly hilarious show – episode after episode season after season the idea that he's you know and i'll be you know maybe this is the season where it starts to fall off but the idea that he can still write and and make people laugh the way he makes people laugh at this age is i think a pretty unique thing like exactly like i was talking about in in, you know pearl jam has a i think they had announced they got a new album coming out a new tour right right? like it just won't register with young people at all like you know Mm -hmm. like i agree my, my my son will not listen to that, and, and 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 though you will listen to it, you probably won't think it compares to their earlier work, just because right. for whatever reason bands get to a point where they, they, they like the music they release in real time doesn't register that way anymore. They can still sell out arenas and play the old stuff, mix in some new stuff, but it just doesn't work. And yet, here's an example of a guy created a television sto- show, still the brains behind it at the age of seventy-two, and I'm assuming. Um, because it's never not been great, that it'll be great again. I certainly hope so. And I hope the Pearl Jam record is as good as it can be. It's going to be called Gigaton. It comes out later this year. But uh, you're right. I mean, the stuff they put out in the 90s, it, it's, you know, that's that's how they, they made their hay. And the creative well can sometimes run a little bit uh, a little bit dry. But uh, there, was, uh, there was a um, uh, Bob Dylan interview on 60 Minutes uh, several years back. But they played him back. You know, they were reading back some of his lyrics from early you know the big songs that everybody knows yeah and and they read it back to him you know you've seen this interview i have and 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 he says uh the interviewer i can't remember who it was but they say could you write that today and he said no and he said but but i i i could i did it then and i you know i did it once and that's better than most and i can do other things today that i couldn't do then but if you're asking me can i write like that anymore he he just sort of acknowledged no I, I can't do that anymore, which was interesting. Yeah, and I, yeah, and I think an honest assessment. Yeah, and weirdly enough, Bob Dylan is an ironic example, only because his best stuff largely is from you know went before he turned forty and all that stuff. But he actually, even if you're not a big Dylan fan, and we're really going down uh, down a little bit of rabbit hole here, he's still like. Love and Theft 2001 is considered easily one of his 10 best records. Modern Times after that was considered very good as well. So even like for Dylan later on, he was able to, you know, still bring some of that. He is 
in some ways, uh, even though he's not funny at all, like he is almost like a Larry David-ish impact in terms of having, you know, decades upon decades of, of, of real impact. But anyway, we are totally on a tangent. Let's do the shouts. I'll get this up. We can go enjoy Curb. Shouts to Devin Downey. Shouts to Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to Terry M.F. and Teagle. He's a legend. Shouts to Larnell. Shouts to Pinnacle Bank Arena. No, shouts no, 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 no. It's an impossible place. Do not place. do not shout out Pinnacle Bank Arena. It's an impossible place. It felt that way. When I used to see it on TV, I'd be like, man, that looks like it's impossible. It turns out it wasn't, but looked it looked it, it felt that way. Shouts to Bogo. Please go subscribe to the Ion College Basketball Podcast via Apple Podcast. Rated favorably, five stars, nice comments, and we will talk to you again Wednesday. Till then, take care. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.